0: I want you to take your Bibles. And I want you to turn to. We're going to look at a number of scriptures today. Uh, I want you to turn to uh, to Second Samuel the sixteenth chapter. Second Samuel the sixteenth chapter. As you're turning there, let me let me share with you this this thought from Hebrews chapter twelve. Hebrews chapter twelve. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, "See to it so that uh, see to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That no bitter root." grows up to cause trouble and defile many. God, as we take time to look at your word today, let it indeed be a lamp to our feet, a light unto our path. God, help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We commit these things to you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Samuel, the 16th chapter. Turn to 2 Samuel, chapter 16. <laughs> and, and while you're doing that, let me, let me, offer, a, let me offer you a, a, a thought to you, a free bonus. Okay? And that is this. <clears throat> I love technology, okay? And I, I, and I appreciate the fact that we can get things on technology. I love the fact that I can carry a phone and that this phone has, has, has it, it has m- much more technology than the first four computers that I ever owned. And, and one of the cool things I love about this is that when I wake up in the morning, I can, I can grab my phone, I can hit one button, and I have exactly where I'm at in our, in our reading through the Chronological Bible. I just think that's very cool. Okay? I also like, love the fact that it's black with white lettering. It's not very bright because I tend to wake up before Jody and I, I don't wake her up as I'm reading through the one-year chronological Bible. However, here's what I'm going to say, and this might make me sound kind of old school, old fashioned. Can I, can I offer this challenge to you? That in, in your Bible study and also not just in your Bible study, uh, but when you come to church on Sundays, I want to challenge you to do something that's really kind of very traditional and very kind of old school. And that is this. I want to challenge you to bring a paper Bible. Okay? Well, let me tell you why. Before y'all get, all of y'all get excited and go, praise God, hope he's going to bring back the hymnals before you get too excited. Okay? We're not bringing back the hymnals. That's what we have these big screens for. Uh, here's, here's the reason for that. Is because it's very difficult. I know the technology allows you to do it, but it's not easy to do. Okay? It's tough to write on the margins of your iPad. Right? And here's what you find. If you, look at, if, if you look at my Bible, you'll find it's tough to find a page that there's not things written in the margin. And so what will happen is this. Is, is I'll be reading and God will just impress upon my heart something or I'll be in something like this and somebody will say something that relates to that particular portion of Scripture and it's powerful and I, and I write it down. And invariably, weeks, months, sometimes years later, I'll be going through a situation. I'll be going through a difficulty. I'll be facing the challenge or even be confronted with an opportunity and I'll go, God, I, I need something from you and I'll open up my Bible and I'll go, wow, this is, this is really, this is good. Not, not just what is written in the word but the explanation of the word that I've received from somebody or that, that God's kind of impressed upon my heart from an earlier day. So there's, there's something significant about a well-worn Bible And and it's it's tough to get that, it's tough to get that on your iPad, right? So I just, I want to challenge you, do something new, do something different, okay? Get a paper Bible. Listen, if you you want a paper Bible and you can't afford to get one on your own, let the church office know, we will provide a paper Bible for you, okay? Now, I'm I'm not against technology. You saw, I have my iPhone with me, I have my iPad with me. I'm telling you, if it's got buttons, I love it. Okay, if it's got a screen, I just think it's the coolest thing on the planet. But there's something significant about a paper bio. Bible that, by the way, that was a free bonus. Okay, that was just my gift to you this morning. So, I want to talk to you about um, about a topic that I believe is profoundly important, and that I believe is a tripping point for a lot of people. A lot of people. In fact, I think that far more. Folks who profess to be Christians struggle with what I'm about to talk to you about than not. And I want want to talk to you about uh, a man who should have, much like like our, 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 our topic of conversation last Sunday, I want to talk to you this morning about a man who should have been much more famous in the history of faith than he is. And, and part of the reason why he's a relative unknown is because of the way that he ended. Remember last Sunday we talked about this issue of finishing strong? I, I want to talk to you about an individual and, and why it is that he failed to finish strong. And, and his journey is, I believe, is a huge lesson for us. In 2 Samuel, the, the, the 16th chapter, it tells us this. In verse number 23... It says, now in those days, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? That this man Ahithophel, when when he spoke, when he gave counsel, according to to what's written there in 2 Samuel 16, that when Ahithophel spoke, it was like one who inquires of God. He didn't just speak his own thought. He didn't just speak his own wisdom. It was as if it was the oracles of God. That's, that's, that's pretty powerful, to operate in that wisdom, to operate in that understanding. And, and here's, here's what we know. We know that Ahithophel was a royal advisor. He was a royal advisor to David. First Chronicles tells us that in 1 Chronicles 27. And then, and then we, we see it here in 2 Samuel 16. It tells us that both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice as if it was a word from the Lord. Now, that's significant. That's significant to walk in wisdom, understanding, and connection with God, so much so that when you speak, it's as if God's speaking, right? And yet, Ahithophel, the end of his life, he is found committing suicide. He hangs himself. Why? Well, let's look at his story. So so Ahithophel was this counselor. He was a counselor to David, but at some point he leaves Jerusalem and he leaves David's council and he goes back to his hometown of Gilo and in time David's son Absalom mounts a revolt against his father and what Absalom does is Absalom begins recruiting people to be on his team. Right, as he as he plans and then and then goes through with this military coup. And one of the key people that he recruits is Ahithophel, and even in recruiting Ahithophel, others knowing that Ahithophel was on Absalom's team, it actually helped Absalom develop his team all the more because of how well known Ahithophel was as a sage, as 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 a as a wise counselor. Well, why is it that? Number one, that Ahithophel, having been this advisor to King David, a trusted advisor to King David, not just a trusted advisor to King David, David counted Ahithophel among one of his close friends. Why would he leave David's side? And why would he eventually join in a revolt against David? It's interesting, if you look at the, the council that Ahithophel gives he he tells Absalom how to get revenge on his father 2nd Samuel 16 verse 20 says this Absalom says to Haithopel give us your advice what should we do in, in this in this revolt against the king what should we do and Haithopel said here's what you need to do he said the first thing that you need to do is this Absalom you need to lie with your father's concubines whom he left to take care of the palace. You see, David has, because of, this, because of this attack from his son, because of this revolt from his son, David has actually fled the palace. Scripture tells us that he climbed barefoot up the Mount of Olives, weeping. He left with a few of, us, a few of his trusted advisors, and he's gone into hiding because his son is attempting to take his life. And so he's, he's left part of his staff, and he's left his concubines there in, in, in the palace. And Ahithophel says this, this is, what you, this is what you should do, Absalom. You should go and lie with your father's concubines, whom he left to take care of the palace. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench in your father's nostrils, and the hands of everyone with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and he lay with his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Wow! You, you want to talk about really disgracing a king, right? To have his son pitch a tent on the roof of the palace and, and to sleep with his concubines. Why would Ahithophel why would give that advice? It just seems profoundly harsh, Absalom, again, he asks Ahithophel he says, so what would be your advice in, in going against my father? And he says this, this is what you want to do. You want to amass a large army. You want to go against your father. But when you go against your father, don't kill anyone who's with him. Only kill the king. Then all of the people will, number one, they'll see how strong you are. Number two, they'll recognize that you haven't harmed them, and the people will quickly come, and they will support you. And they will will recognize you and honor you as king. Ahithophel's advice first of all, disgrace your father by sleeping with the women in his life. Secondly, put him to death. Seems like strange counsel that would come from a trusted advisor and a close friend. Why would Ahithophel give that advice? Well, here's the reason why. You see, Ahithophel was not just a royal advisor to King David. Ahithophel was also the father of a gentleman by the name Eliam. Eliam was counted among David's mighty men. He was one of the warriors that was faithful to David. Eliam was also the father to a beautiful girl named Bathsheba. Ahithophel was the grandfather to Bathsheba. Can you imagine as his granddaughter is growing up, she's a beautiful girl. She just, she has a wonderful grace about her. And, and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a joy in her life. You hope that she finds, that she finds strength in marriage and that she finds a, a man who will be, be worthy of who she is and worthy of being connected to your family. And then that happens. Bathsheba becomes betrothed to this gentleman named Uriah, who was a mighty warrior, a valiant warrior in David's army. He was, his name was, was Uriah the Hittite. And, and he's, he's a man of profound character. And, and we know that he's a man of profound character. And we know that, that he's a man of profound loyalty. When we, when we read in Scripture, when we read in the story of David with Bathsheba, right? Because when Uriah is brought home, Uriah won't even lay with his wife while the rest of the men are in battle. He's a man of profound character. And so for Eliam, the father of Bathsheba, and for Ahithophel, the grandfather of Bathsheba, for for his granddaughter to be married to such a, a man of honor and a godly man was an incredible thing. Bathsheba was someone he could be so proud of. And then one day in the spring when kings go off to war, David doesn't. David remains at the palace. His palace is built in the city of David on one side of a hill. You go down that hill, there's a lower portion of the Kidron Valley, and then there's the other side of the hill going up onto the Mount of Olives. David's palace was on one side of that hill. The home of Bathsheba and Uriah was on the other side of the hill. And as David is sitting there relaxing in his palace, he looks over and he sees her. And he wants her. And as a king, he can have whatever he wants. And so he sends his advisors to get her. and what's a girl to do? It doesn't matter how much you try to keep this story secret. The fact that there were people involved in going to get Bathsheba, there are folks who know the story. And so, One person tells another, don't tell anybody else. Who tells one more, don't tell anybody else. And now everyone knows, but nobody knows. Right? And the reputation of Ahithophel's granddaughter is forever tarnished. It eats at him so much that he leaves David's side as his royal advisor. And he goes home. He never gets beyond it. And when the time comes that Absalom is going to lead this revolt against his father, Ahithophel, in bitterness and unforgiveness, he joins the company of Absalom. He gives Absalom the advice to sleep with his father's concubines. Absalom follows this advice. It's actually its fulfillment of the prophecy that Nathan prophesied over David when he confronted him in his sin. Absalom asked him again and he told him, kill David. Go after David, kill David alone. Absalom asked another for advice, a gentleman by the name of Hushai. It tells us this in 2 Samuel seventeen fourteen. 14. Then Absalom and all the leaders of Israel said, Hushai's advice is better than Ahithopel's. And Ahithopel, according to 2 Samuel 17, 23 Ahithopel was publicly disgraced when Absalom refused his advice. So he saddled his donkey, went to his hometown, set his affairs in order, and hung himself. Bitterness. Unforgiveness. It's something that God's Word talks to us about in a significant fashion. There's an exhaustive amount of information in the Word of God on this issue of unforgiveness and bitterness. And the reason is because it is such a major issue. And and here's what I know because I, I spend time with you. Here's what I know because we do life together. That one of the biggest issues that keeps the Christian from walking in the victory that God has for you one of the major stumbling blocks that keeps the church from being the witness that it is to be today is this issue of bitterness and unforgiveness. We, we feel wronged. We feel used. We feel betrayed. We, we feel let down. And this issue of unforgiveness, it, it finds root in our emotion. And then it burrows into our soul. What is it? What is it that, that causes bitterness? Well, I want you to turn from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And in Ephesians chapter 4, I, I, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that the Apostle Paul, that he, that he gives us a great explanation of, of, of what, what causes bitterness. So we see this in Ephesians chapter 4. It tells us this, starting in the 26th verse. It tells us that in our anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while we are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to... To their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, all rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So, where does it start? Where does bitterness start? Bitterness starts with unresolved conflict. That's the reason why God's word says this. It says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. When there are these issues in life where you feel betrayed or wronged or used or offended in any way, you're to address it. You're to deal with it. Because when we have this conflict in our life and we leave it unresolved, we create fertile soil where the enemy plants seeds of bitterness. I've seen it in my own life. I've experienced it in relationships. There are people that are, that are dear to me. There are members of my own family that I've, I watch their life eroding away because of the bitterness that has consumed them. I recognize that that could have so easily been my path. When I I lost my father just before my eighth birthday, I was angry. I was angry with my father that he didn't take better care of himself. My father died of lung cancer and he had been a lifelong smoker. Why? Why? Why wouldn't he take better care of himself? Why, why would he leave behind a seven-year-old boy? I'm not saying that my thoughts were right or, or, or logical. I'm just telling you what I felt. I was angry. I was angry at my, my mother who, just a few months after my father died, let this new man into her life and into our home who was a, a violent drunk and a child abuser. So now my father's gone and I'm being beaten almost on a daily basis. Became bitter towards my, towards my stepfather. Not recognizing that, that this abuse was simply a repetition of a cycle that, that he had experienced and that his father had experienced and that his grandfather had experienced. I was bitter towards siblings that had, that had moved to live with my grandmother. And so instead of having older brothers there to watch after me and, and take care of me, I'm the 12th of thirteen children. There were eight children living at home when my father died. I had three older brothers, and yet they were all gone. They didn't stick around to help me. Or that was my perception in the moment. I, I was first introduced to Jesus the summer before my father's death. A little Baptist Church in Fort Myers, Florida, Bible Baptist Church, and I, I, I accepted Christ. I, I came to an altar at a Sunday night service. Right, some of you have been there. You know, summer Sunday night in a church in Florida that's not air conditioned. See, that's, folks, we really need to thank God for what we have here, okay? Because, listen, I've sat on that hard wooden pew where it's 98 degrees with 98% humidity. And you're just praying that that lady sitting next to you that she'll fan that big fan just a little bit more, right? I'll tell you what, that night when our pastor, Reverend R.A. Lane, when he preached on hell, I knew hell. Because we were experiencing it right there at Bible Baptist Church. And when he got to that point, at the end of the service, when he started to get into the low, slow flow, right? That's when you know they're about to land the plane, right? When they get into that low, slow flow. Dear friend, friend, friend. Are you here tonight? Night, night, night. And <laughs> if your life would end, 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 do you know for sure that you would stand before God and go to heaven, heaven, heaven? Or hell, hell, hell! You go, I, I don't know for sure. I know that I need to know for sure. And I, when he said, if you don't know and you want to know, you need to come to the altar. I was sitting in the front row, and I did not walk to the altar. I, I, think I, I think I jumped just one, boom, and I was there. And as a, as a seven-year-old boy, I, I gave my life to Jesus. And can I tell you something? I meant it. It wasn't just an emotional thing to me. I was in. Now, now it may have been that I was just looking for fire insurance, but I still was in. It, it, it was a sincere commitment. So I, I become convinced that God was real, which, which made it all the worse because when my dad died and, 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 and my stepfather entered into our life and my brothers all moved to live with my grandparents and I'm getting beat every day, Okay, day, I'm not just angry at my dad, I'm not just angry at my mom, I'm not just angry at my stepfather, I'm not just bitter towards my, my brothers and sisters, I'm bitter towards God. God, if you're all powerful, if you're all this, then you've got some explaining to do. And I was bitter even sitting in a church pew. And here's what I know. I know that all across this room there are people who can relate to that. You have... You have You have this unresolved conflict. Somebody has let you down. They've wronged you. And it's legitimate. But instead of following God's directive regarding forgiveness... You carry that, and, and, and you buy into the hellish lie, there's, I can't forgive them, there's no way I can forgive them. That's not true. And, and part of the reason that we get sucked into this is because we have, a, we have a, an, an incorrect assumption about what forgiveness even is. I've heard people say this, I can never forget what that person did. You know, we're told we, we should forgive and forget, forgive and forget. The Bible does not say forgive and forget, the Bible says forgive. Forgive. Okay? Let me, let me offer this to you. I stand before you. I could tell you vividly the wrongs that were done to me as a child. I could point out the scars on my body that I carry today of the wrongs that were done to me as a child. There's no way to forget those things. But forgiving and forgetting are two very different things. Forgiving is this forgiving, forgiveness is. Forever giving up the right to hold a person accountable for their actions or attitudes. Forever giving up the right to hold a person accountable for their actions or their attitudes. Okay? The other thing that I want you to know is this. Is forgiving someone and returning to the same place in relationship are two different things. And here's the reason why. Because relationships are based on trust. Trust. And trust should not be given, trust should be earned. God doesn't even say, hey, trust me. He says this, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When Jesus called his disciples to follow him, he took them down this progressive path of trust. And he proved himself. Right? But the issue of forgiveness, forever giving up the right to hold someone accountable for their actions or attitudes, friends, that's a non-negotiable And Jesus said this, the measure with which you forgive others, that's the measure with which the Father forgives you. If there is bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, you will not see God. Let's talk about that that issue that you carry towards your parents. Towards a former employer. Towards a sibling. or How about this? Towards a pastor. There are folks that are watching via live stream today that you will not darken the door of a church because you were wronged at some point in the past. Understand this. While I'm glad that you are watching, and my hope is this, is that you will continue to tune in week after week after week. Do not be misled. God's word says, where there is bitterness and unforgiveness, you will not see God. You have to get beyond that. You have to forgive. You have to let it go. Let me tell you this about me. It's not a question of when I'm going to frustrate you, irritate you, offend you, disappoint you, let you down. It's a matter of when. And here's the reason why. Because I'm human. Right? To quote Shakespeare's Shylock, if you cut me, do I not bleed? Perfection is reserved for God alone. And so the people around you, they're going to do things that will, that will irritate you frustrate, you, frustrate you, hurt you. Forgive just as in Christ God forgave you. You know, God forgave me. That act of forgiveness happened before I ever sinned. Jesus died on the cross for my sins 2,000 years before I was even born. That's how much God loves me. We've, we, listen, we, we have to get beyond this. We have to get beyond the, the, the unresolved conflict. We, we also have to get beyond the unfulfilled expectations. Sometimes it's not where someone wronged us. Sometimes it's just that they didn't do what we wanted them to do. Let me tell you, let me tell you an experience that I had as a pastor that shattered me. I was, I was supposed to go meet with a 16-year-old boy. Pick him, up, pick him up at his house and take him out for a soda. And about an hour before I was supposed to go do that, one of, our, one of the people in our church, one of the men in our church was rushed to the hospital. Emergency situation, it wasn't expected. And he ends up, he dies. And so I'm at the hospital with this family. Now, Some hospitals, this is not the case. Many hospitals have it as a hospital policy that you cannot have your cell phone on, that you cannot uh, use it, that you can't even have it turned on when you're in certain areas of the hospital. And this happened to be the policy in the hospital that I was at. So I'm there, I'm ministering to the family. Just as soon as I can break away, I call this house. And the father answers. This is a family that was very involved in the church. And the father berates me. And he tells me that I'm not a man of my word. Because I didn't show up at the time that I said that I was going to be there for his son. And I tried to explain to him that I was at the hospital. I told him the family that I was with, it was somebody that he worshipped with. It was somebody that he went to church with who had just gone to be with the Lord. And I was there ministering to his family. And, and that man, he never got over, as far as I know to this day, he's never got over the fact that I said I was going to be at his house at 4 o'clock and I wasn't at his house at 4 o'clock. And sometimes we have this idea and we have these expectations in our mind. Right? And those expectations, they go unfulfilled. And as a result, we, we carry ill feelings towards an individual or probably the biggest one in, in unfulfilled expectations, is we have these expectations towards God. God, I, I prayed that my marriage would stay together, and yet I find myself divorced. God, I, I prayed for my child to be healed, and yet they live with this debilitating disease. God, I I prayed that you would provide. And yet, the eviction notice still came. Unresolved conflict, unfulfilled expectations, and an unanswered prayer. Bitterness just sets in, sets in, sets in. And it's something that we don't like to talk about. But the reality is this, is that it fills the Spirit. It ends up spilling into every other area of life. Acts 8.23 says, since you're full of bitterness and you're held captive, And bitterness wills to get revenge so much so that it kills our spiritual condition. Ahithophel, this wise man, he knew better. And yet he allowed it to destroy his relationships, he allowed it to erase his joy. He allowed it to impact his legacy and his destiny. And his bitterness, his bitterness didn't ease Bathsheba's pain. It only added to it. Can you imagine the sorrow that Bathsheba felt when she heard the news that her beloved grandfather had taken his own life? It seems impossible to think that she would not know of this bitterness and unforgiveness. That had taken the highest of tolls. So, how do we do it? How do, how do we, how do we get rid of this bitterness? So just real quickly, three things. Real quickly. Number one is this. Paul says this at the beginning of Ephesians four. He says, "As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received." I think it starts with acknowledging what God has done for us and God's grace towards us. God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins. Right? He offers complete forgiveness. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he separates our sins from us. His grace comes without condition. God forever gives up the right to hold you accountable for your actions or your attitudes. Totally, completely. And when we, when we recognize God's posture towards us, doesn't it make sense that we should have that posture towards others? He goes on to say this in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. I think one of the big reasons that bitterness can have such a way with us is because of this issue of ego. No doubt part of Iathopal's Problem was this. It was the sullying of his family name. I don't deserve this. I'm not going to forgive them, I'm not going to give them the pleasure. I'm certainly not going to be the person to initiate forgiveness. They need to humble themselves and come to me. If they come crawling back to me, maybe, maybe I'll accept their forgiveness and I'll forgive them. But I'm certainly not going to be the initiator. Aren't you glad that that wasn't God's posture towards us? Right? being very God of very God that he didn't say, look, here's the act of contrition that you have to do. Let's talk about the amount of sin that you did. And so let's talk about the amount of penance that you have to pay in order to get back into my good graces. Now, he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, And then we address the issues with mercy and grace. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Here's what I know. I know this. I know, ma'am, I know, sir, that God had you in mind when he laid the message of Ahithophel on my heart. And I know that you've carried this unforgiveness for far too long. And it stifles so many areas of your life. It stifles joy, It stifles anointing, it stifles creativity, it stifles healthy relationship, it stifles peace, and you live this maybe overt, maybe covert, discontented experience, discontented life, because you can't let go of this unresolved conflict, this unfulfilled expectation, or this unanswered prayer. And God has brought you here today to say, it's time to let it go. I can't let it go. That's a lie the enemy has convinced you of. Listen to me. That's a lie the enemy has convinced you of. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. And so you can absolutely walk in forgiveness and freedom today. That bitterness that has taken root and now has blossomed in your life, God has brought you here to dig that out finally and completely. And here's how we know that it's possible. Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, said some profound things. That sentence ranks right up there with the most profound. As they're mocking him, as they're spitting on him, as they're beating him, and more than the physical, as they're rejecting who he is, Father. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. I wonder. I wonder how history would be different if Ahithophel, this man of great wisdom. if he would have walked in forgiveness. I wonder what our, what our geopolitical landscape would look like. I wonder how our world would be shaped. I wonder what, I wonder what your history would look like. If you finally let go of that hurt and walked in forgiveness? Dealt with this issue of bitterness that you don't like to talk about. In fact, in many loves you don't even like to acknowledge. But God has brought you here today to have an awkward conversation, but an, a vital conversation.